Welcome to the Zanbergen Report, where wealth strategies and pop culture collide, featuring your distinguished host and certified financial planner, Bart Zandbergen. Welcome to our show of Dream Chasers and Wealth Makers. We are thrilled to be back in studio today with the new episode of the Zanbergen Report. I'm proud to bring in the movers, shakers, and difference makers who are passionate about sharing what they've learned and what you need to know today. And today, I'm pleased to have in studio Paul, a, a name you, you you may be familiar with. I, I was trying sure. to I was trying to pronounce it. It's a it's a it's a handful there. I was a handful. Sure. Well, let's welcome to the show Tim Zanbergen um, of FMN Benefits. Tim, welcome to the show. Good to be here, brother. So I think we should probably classify, clarify so that everybody knows that um, we are not distant cousins, we are not father, son, we are actually brothers uh, <laughs> who actually once worked together in the field of employee benefits many, 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 many All right, now who's ago. the baby brother and who's the older one? That's all I can't tell here. <laughs> well, that's that's for, for us to know and for everyone else to try to find out. <laughs> okay, all right. So in any event. So, Tim, uh, world of employee benefits. Things have changed since I got out of that business many years ago, and things are changing. I know every year, uh, I know we had Obamacare years ago, and we'll talk just about that just a little bit because you say that um, we mentioned that that things haven't really changed there much, and um, but at least we'll give people an idea of what it is. Um, there seems to be a constant complaint of my premiums have gone up, uh, and that goes on every, every year. And maybe we can discuss what's happening there what's going on with the carriers. And let's also clarify that your specialty is in employee benefits. So not individual, but for businesses, small to medium sized businesses who are providing medical insurance to their staff. Correct. Correct. I do do a little individual, a little Medicare, but for the most part, it is employee benefits. All right. Well, you open yourself up. We may have to talk about Medicare, so be careful what you say. <laughs> I said a little. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about um, what's happening in the world of group medical insurance today. Yeah. So just a look back as far as the benefits and then what rolled out in 2014, the infamous Obamacare, uh, the Affordable Care Act. So it's been six years in the making, six years out there. And I think the word affordable is still being questioned if that's ever going to happen. Um, yes, the rates continue to go up. Benefits continue to be slowly chipped away, a little bit less. And every year it's uh, usually single digit increases on the, the benefits. And at the same time, I should be on the cost and the benefits uh, seem to decrease a little bit as well. Part of that is, man, is trying to manage that cost. So the carriers trying to keep the premium down by pushing more cost onto the um, members as they use the benefits. Yeah. So there's typically, um, and as an employer myself, we see there's a trade-off, right? So if there's a an effort to keep in premiums the same, it's usually a reduction in benefit. Uh, that still seems to be the, the game, correct? Yes, that's correct. So what has, um, what can people expect this year? Are there any significant changes? 2021 is bringing on still single digit increases. Um, if they've been in the market now in small group, so small group is defined as 99 or less employees. So those are the, the groups that are really impacted by Obamacare. They are no longer medically underwritten. Those rates are driven by their age and employer zip code or groups uh, over 100 and more are more medically underwritten, 
and uh, or more still made the the old way or the pre-Obamacare when they're medically underwritten and the costs and benefits are designed by the employer or the benefits are designed by the employer cost is really utilization. A group with a lot of claims, uh, that group is going to pay more than another group that doesn't have a lot of claims. That's only for 100 and more, correct? Correct. So under uh, 199, basically um, all the carriers have divided up. Well, there's, the state of California is divided up to 19 regions. Orange County is number 18. So the carriers now, they rate their cost of doing business in each region. <clears throat> so in Orange County, what does it, it cost for Anthem, Blue Cross, or Blue Shield of California to do business in Orange County? Uh, premiums coming in versus money going out, paying claims. And that's how some of the rates are generated. Anything different in 2021 with regards to um, the design of plans or anything added, anything taken away? No, they're still the, the metallic tiers. So platinum is the best, gold, silver, and bronze. They still use that metallic naming uh, schedule. And the, the benefits are still defined by that uh, platinum 10% co-insurance and gold 20% co-insurance, silver 30%, and the bronze at 40% of that co-insurance. So uh, by design, the Affordable Care Act is a, um, a ratio of the uh, total cost and then the benefit uh, within that range. So what continues to happen, and it's uh, I haven't been able to get an answer, is every year the out-of-pocket max goes up. So let's say the out-of-pocket max is what you pay per calendar year as the max you'd pay for claims. And if you reach that threshold, you would be covered at 100%. You wouldn't have to pay any more of your claims. Well, that number continues to increase on all levels of the plan benefits. But I, no one can tell me why that is increasing. Part of it, I believe it's, it gives them a bigger range to have that 20%. So 20% of zero cost to a 4,000 max out of pocket, you get a, a list of benefits and co-pays. But if they squeeze that out to 4,500 or 5,000, then those co-pays can, can go up a little bit more to keep us within that range of percentage of cost. Okay. What are the, is the possibility, have you heard anything we've just had an election, anything going on with um, foreseeable big changes as Obamacare slash ACA going to stay in place? What's happening there? It does sound like everything's status quo. Everybody has those speculations as um, Biden is bringing his board on his people, nothing is really hard-coded this time, uh, of certain situations that are going to happen. You know, the talk of socialized medicine is still talked about. Um, Biden did talk about adding a public option. So I believe that would just expand something like a, a Medi-Cal, like we have uh, in the state of California to uh, allow more people to come in. So they get their benefits um, next to nothing for cost. And I think that's uh, the way they're gonna help um, offset the cost. So unfortunately for employees, uh, as their income goes up, they get bumped out of the, the Medi-Cal. So right now it's no cost to them. And then they get bumped out and now they're paying hundreds of dollars maybe per paycheck or per month that they were not paying before. So it always has that kind of that hurt is when you start making more money, then um, you get bumped out of that free uh, Medi-Cal cost. Mm-hmm. So potentially whatever Biden rolls out, he may um, raise that dollar amount. So 
if it's, I don't know the exact number, because I don't deal with that, but let's say if it's $40,000 for a family of four to be able to stay on Medi-Cal, maybe he'll bump that up to a higher uh, income amount to be able to keep those uh, benefits. Does COBRA still exist? COBRA still exists. It's still highly um, managed and there's a lot of regulation using uh, COBRA, the employer with 20 or more employees um, is responsible to hire uh, an administrator to manage that. If it's less than 20, then the carrier manages that. So as employee uh, loses their coverage, termination, voluntary or involuntary, reduction of hours, then the carrier offers them the continuation coverage, which is exactly what they have now, the same benefit structure. And then the uh, more popular note on Cobra is, why does Cobra cost so much? Yeah. Well, it doesn't cost more than what the employer is currently paying for you. It's just the fact the employer is not paying a portion of your cost. So your couple hundred dollars a month deduction is what you're paying your portion. And when you get the Cobra bill, that is the full amount. So the difference of what you're paying to the Cobra premium is what the employer was paying in, uh, on your behalf. Isn't there a, a, like an admin charge tagged on top? Isn't that part of it? Uh, it is. Right? It's a 2% if it's, um, okay, so it's 20 or more. It's 10% if it's 19 or less. So it's a little bit more, but uh, for the most part, 2% you know, for the, uh, the 20 or more employers, employees. Okay. Has anything changed with COBRA because of uh, COVID? Have they extended it? Have they done anything along those lines? Well, yeah. If you don't want to talk about COVID across the board in the healthcare industry a lot, they they lacks a lot of the uh, guidelines as far as the the, uh, the days that you can um, actually elect COBRA. It was 60 days from the loss of, of contact, uh, loss of coverage. Uh, they've softened that. They've extended that a little bit. Uh, they give them a lot more grace period on premiums. If you can't make it, then they don't just drop your, your coverage. They let you um, go more than 30 days without payment. And that's generally speaking across the board, um, just COVID general on what the carriers were doing to help um, employers. Even if the employees were not working, um, traditionally you have to work to be qualified, minimum of 30 hours a week. But during this uh, shutdown and not working, uh, the 30 hours traditionally required to have benefits. <clears throat> the carriers pretty much said, don't ask, don't tell, keep your employees on, just pay the bill. We're not ever going to audit you to show that these actual employees worked to be eligible for those benefits. So these these COVID, um, I don't know, leniencies, as you've discussed, those are really carrier driven. They haven't been, a, that's not a federal thing. Correct. It was all, all carrier driven. I think in their eyes, they want the money coming in. They don't want to have everybody um, losing coverage or on COBRA and then the um, administrative work to bring them back on if they're rehired. They, I guess the carriers were saying, hey, let's just have them pay premiums, we'll get the money and no one will probably be making claims because the hospitals aren't really even taking anybody. Got it. Uh, do you see that, seen anything different lately with the economy seeming to pick up? Now, with that said, it seems like we're maybe going down for another uh, um, lockdown, but um, anything different in the last couple of months? No, uh, they tightened up all those uh, leniencies on all those billings and mm -hmm. employment and stuff like that. So it's getting kind of uh, back to normal now. How about HSAs? Are those still available and are they popular? They are available. They're not too popular because the cost savings of a health savings account that's attached to a high deductible health plan. Most people don't see the value in those. They want to be able to 
fund and invest the health savings account, which gives them a federal tax credit and they could use that money to reimburse themselves. Um, but the, the cost of those plans isn't discounted enough to help offset the cost of using those plans. So those plans by design have no co-pays. It's all a percentage and usually a larger deductible. So any sort of premium savings to go from a traditional PPO with co-pays for office visits and co-pays for prescriptions to basically a 20 or 30% of the cost or whatever that is, then um, there really isn't much savings there. So they're not really high, highly used. And unfortunately, most people who do have them uh, don't open a health savings account, so they don't take advantage of that, that benefit. They just like the lower premium. So they're pretty much self-insuring when they enroll in, in the HSA. Yeah. So I realized I asked that question and we kind of, we kind of backdoored answered it. So I think we should take a second and really start from the top and define what an HSA is and how it, what it, what it is. Um, if you have one, it can only be coupled with a, you know what, and let's, so let's go down that path. Okay. So let's just define what is available. So there is an HMO health maintenance organization, which, uh, which is required to have a primary care physician and we use medical groups and you're, PCP, primary care physician, is your gatekeeper. You have your traditional PPO, or of course, you could self-refer in-network with contracted providers, out-of-network with non-contracted providers. So the HSA, HDHP, Health Deductible, High Deductible Health Plan, is a PPO, same network of providers, just the plan benefits are structured different to allow the attachment of the health savings account, which you could put into, I believe, the, for 2021, the numbers are the same. I think it's 3,000 or 3,100 uh, per individual, double that for a family. So what they want to do is they want you to fund that health savings account, get a federal tax credit for doing that, and then use that money to pay your claims. So they want to just try to help have you save some money by giving you that tax credit uh, for the money that you put in that health savings account. And the benefit of the health savings account is it does roll over. So it's not use it or lose it, like a FSA, a flexible spending account. So an HSA, the health savings account, it does roll over. So but an individual who puts 3100 in one year, they don't have any claims or they just pay it out of pocket, make sure they can put another 3100 in there. Now they have you know, 6200 and you could potentially, and you get the federal tax credit each year for that 3100 and then you can potentially use that money for LASIK or maybe some sort of um, oral surgery if you need to get implants or anything of that nature. So, and on that note, it's not just for uh, medical. The benefit is attached to a medical plan, but you can use those dollars for uh, dental and vision as well. Yeah, I'll add something to that. Um, I actually am a utilizer of the HSA concept. Um, primarily because we're not big users of medical plans, so the high deductible while intimidating, um, we don't often get there. So I'm just kind of used to paying out of pocket. And then I think the other benefit of the HSA is one, the deduction. So for those who are looking to get the most deductions they can each year, either through their retirement plans, whatever else might be available, the HSA adds a little bit more. And then if you don't utilize the funds during your working years, that can roll over into a supplemental retirement account where you can take the money out. It's an older age. Instead of 59, I want to say it's 65, um, I believe, um, where you can start taking the money out uh, taxable or use it still tax-free for medical expenses. So great plan. So let's talk about what else you do besides uh, medical insurance. So what are you the the champion of? <laughs> oh, you mean outside of my 100 hours a week? Um, yeah. Keeping people healthy and 
managing their benefit costs. Um, I do like to ride, ride a bike every once in a while. <laughs> well, by the time people see this show, I believe your avatar is going to be your um, one of your cycling pictures. And I apologize, I a danger of working at home. If you can hear anything, this my dog has fallen asleep and is having a nightmare. So she's, he's crying. <laughs> oh, boy. COVID. So talk to people like, like kind of walk us through your, what's your daily routine on your, your biking? Uh, daily routine. Um, wake up, have my cup of coffee, look out, out the windows, see if it's, you know, sunny or warm or cold or look at the temperature. And I jump on my bike and ride anywhere from one to three hours. It's usually Monday through Friday, you know, before work or depending on the time of year, I'll do a little bit of work and then ride for one to three hours and then come back and, and do, do some more work. The home office is pretty equipped, so I can do some work early in the morning uh, before the ride. So, yeah, during the week, it's mostly on my road bike just because of the, the weather and the, the, the temperature and the sun. If the sun doesn't come up early enough, in the weekends, I like to um, ride the mountain bike. Yeah, what kind of races have you done recently? Um. I raced up in Big Bear. I did 100K about a month ago, a little over six hours doing that. And then the following week, I did a up in Big Bear again, a cross-country race, which is traditionally shorter, about a two-hour race. They had a really fun ride on Saturday. So Saturday, we did 120 miles, uh, about 12,000 feet of climbing on the road bike. And we threw in some dirt roads uh, on the road bike, which is a new kind of uh, riding. It's called uh, gravel riding. So you put a little bigger tires on and you take your road bike and then you ride on the road on the pavement. Then you jump on some hiking trails. So nothing like a traditional mountain bike where you're rolling over rocks and, and doing more aggressive stuff, but the stuff you see people walking on for the most part. So it's free throw that in just to make it a little more exciting um, and just give you more options to ride and stuff. So that's what we did on Saturday. We started in Costa Mesa Worked our way through El Moro, through Peters Canyon, to Santiago Oaks, popped out in Corona, rode up the backside of a saddleback called Skyline, and then dropped down the trail called Black Star. That was about five hours and 8,000 feet of climbing. And then we went south through O'Neill Park, and then through Tiltalega, back down to PCH, finished up in El Moro, and, and um, so back to Costa Mesa. So about eight and a half hours to ride. That sounds like a day in the park for Paul. I'm sure that's a regular routine for our Paul. Um, so eight, 120 miles, eight and a half hour ride. And so this is always cracks me up. So you rode, you didn't take Sunday off, right? You rode again. You had to do a recovery ride. Yeah. Yeah. The legs won't move if you, unless you just get that blood pumping. <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to believe that. So how long, how long that? did you ride on Sunday? Uh, just an hour. Just an hour. Yeah. Okay. All right. Just to get right. things moving again. Otherwise, you're like a stick man. Nothing, nothing wants to move, especially when you get a little bit older, uh, especially at your age, Bart. You know, when you get a little bit older, then uh, mm-hmm. you got to have that recovery ride to get yep. that blood flowing and loosen yep. those muscles up. I get that. Um, so how many, on average, how many miles a week do you ride, including those big weekend rides? Uh, between 200 and 250. Uh, and yeah. in my world of cycling, that's about, about average. Yeah. For right. to be a competitive cyclist, either on the road or mountain, that's that's about the average. Yeah. All right. So let's finish up um, before we close up. So uh, describe your daily nutrition to fuel that sort of of, of exercise and output. Uh, it kind of depends. On easier days, I don't eat so much. I just use the glycogen stores in, in my body just to fuel that. But if I'm going to go a little bit harder, 
when I need some more quicker fuel, there's uh, plenty of supplements that uh, I usually just put it in my water bottle. Uh, I like to consume my calories in my water bottle. There's pros and cons and discussions on if that's the right, right way to do it or not, but I like to do it that way. The water tastes good and it digests quicker and it goes right to your muscles. And then they have those infamous little goo tablets. That's like, like liquidy peanut butter that you put in. Those about 100, 100 calories that you could um, digest pretty easily as well because it's already a little bit of liquid and um, it goes right to your muscles pretty quick. It doesn't sit in your gut. And you don't want to eat too much because it draws the blood away from your muscles uh, that are actually working really hard to keep you moving to digest your food. So you just kind of trickle in your food you know, throughout the hour. You try to consume about... 250 calories an hour. And by how much are you burning an hour? Like a thousand? Uh, potentially. Yeah. Like on, on my ride, I burned 5,500 calories on the eight hour ride. How and much weight did you lose on the ride? Uh, about two, two and a half pounds. I weighed myself the next day. Even though I ate and drank, I felt great the whole, whole ride. I had a good dinner. And the next morning when I was on the scale, I was only, only down two and a half pounds. So it's, well, that wasn't too bad. I've, I've been five pounds or more sometimes. And you can make that up in a couple of days. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, anything else you want to make sure you cover either on bike riding supplements, nutrition or benefits? <laughs> well, I just, I was really um, wanted to talk about the cost of healthcare. Everybody seems to ask why does healthcare cost so much? And why is it, you know, why is it, you know, why is it always going up and everything? So I just came across some stats that I wanted to share just to, um, let people know it's it's you know we're kind of inflicting this wound uh, on ourselves. For instance, in in the United States, so as far as um, obesity, out of the top ten countries in the world, um, where, where do you think the United States falls for the population of, of obese obesity? What what percentage of the U.S. population is obese? Is that what yes. you're asking? Yes, that's what I was trying to say. Yes. Uh... And then where, where do we stand as far as in the whole world? Are we the worst, the best? Yeah. So we're, part, um, I'm going to um, say we're one of the worst okay. and I'm going to say obese, um, no, no, obese has a definition, right? It's over like X percent body fat or something along those lines. Yes. I don't know that exact number. That's a good, good point. Yeah. Or whatever they consider. The definition of obese. I'm going to say 40, 30%, 30 Okay, and where, where do we rank in the whole world compared to England, Canada, Germany, Mexico? You know, First, you know, highest. You're correct. We're 38.2% of the 30. population is considered yeah. obese, and we are number yeah. one. Not far most obese people. That's sad. That is sad. That is uh, very sad. Come on, just overall health, right? Yeah. It's sad that that's happened. Okay, so that is that what's partly is that your point? That's what's driving medical costs up. Yes, that's that's part of it, and um, just a lot of claims, uh, claim issues, patients um, misclaiming, doctors are claiming, making claims that are for services not performed, uh, patients uh, requesting services that don't need to happen. So they just need to be uh, better consumers of their uh, benefits. We don't, we, I'm sure, have no idea what the results of COVID are yet, right, on the medical premium for COVID uh, yeah. cases? No, the government picked up, I think that's why the numbers are so high, because everyone wants to claim it as a COVID, because then the federal government reimburses them. So that's a whole other more. discussion on that number uh, and what that means. But yeah, I don't know if that's going to hit all local carriers that hard. Yeah. All right, Tim, how can anyone get a hold of you um, with questions or help? 
yes, they can call my office uh, at 949-455-0300 and ask for me, Tim Z. We have two Tims in the office. And since Zan Bergen is uh, a tongue twister at some point, uh, Tim Z is is my, <laughs> my handle. So don't know who to, who to send it to. Uh, how about a website or email or anything like that? Uh, T Zanbergen at fmncc.com. All right. Well, Tim, thanks for being on the show. It's a very um, current subject as people are always interested in what, to, uh, or, or uninterested in the increase in medical insurance costs and uh, right. good to know why. Uh, Paul, I think he wants to chime in. The question sure. everybody wanted to know is that what's it like being Bart Zanbergen's brother? <laughs> sure they do well life could be life could be a lot worse <laughs> See, there you go uh, wow it was great he was very kind he gave me the opportunity kind. to start this business and uh it was thanks to him I'm, i am where i am right now as far as this business uh -huh. goes so it's very good well i don't know what to say about that thank you very much <laughs> there you go. you're welcome all right um well um wish everybody a happy thanksgiving and uh look um, thanks for everyone who has tuned in we look forward to being back in the studio again next week cheers awesome. thanks thanks everybody thank you tune in next week for the latest edition of the zanbergen report tuesdays at 2 p.m catch up on our recent shows by visiting podcast.bartzanbergen.com the Zanbergen Report is also available on iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Interested in being a featured guest on our show or have a question you'd like to hear us answer? Email podcast at bartzanbergen.com. The contents of this podcast episode do not constitute an offer of securities or a solicitation of an offer to buy securities and may not be relied upon in making an investment decision related to any investment offering Access Wealth Management LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Access does not warrant the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. Opinions are our current opinions and are subject to change without notice. Prices, quotes, rates are subject to change without notice. Generally, investments are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed and may lose value. Brokerage services are offered through to Sarah Capital, member FINRA.